spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Going to be two times the Titans this week. It's episode 289 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and yeah, I've kind of put this one off a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I mean, decided to run the interview with David Dismalchin last week, but this week definitely going to let you hear from the cast of Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans, the animated movie that has been, you know, wanted basically by fans for a long time. We're finally going to get to see the two Titans maybe clash maybe they'll be buddies maybe you've already seen the movie because it is out everywhere we'll talk to the cast and get their thoughts on it also once again our sponsor this week indiana university press and the boy who loved batman a memoir by michael uslin i'll talk about that here coming up in a couple of minutes also i mean there is such a huge amount of nerd news this week it's kind of ridiculous how much there is but let's start things off with comics it's what we're reading on the down and nerdy podcast uh, hey, this is comic book author and creator Matt Wagner, and you're here with the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're bagging and boarding or clicking and collecting whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And going to start things off, hey, I hate to keep starting off with DC. Actually, I don't, because it's been a really good run for them. This time, DC's Black Label, though. How about The Last God, number one, from Philip Kennedy Johnson, Ricardo Federici on the art, Sonny Go, and Dean White on the colors. couple of colors in this one. Kai Carpenter with the just incredible cover for this book. Now, there's going to be some names I can't pronounce here, but I'm going to do my best. So, And, and I'm not even going to try with some of them. So, PKJ, thanks for all the really confusing and hard names to pronounce. But let's get into this, shall we? Cain Anun, that's basically where this is taking place, was a land that was under siege from really a savage godlike monster or monsters depending on your perspective it it doesn't make me want to plant a garden anytime soon let me just put it that way now that is until Tyr, who is a brave companion and his brave companions they basically slayed the god and became well at least Tyr did anyway became the king of can anun and as a matter of fact he rules alongside queen seneth who was in in the battle with him as well now The question of whether or not they did it, what they exactly said they did, is kind of something that is talked about amongst the people. But it seems like universally everybody seems to think that there's heroes now that rule their land. Now the land is is, is reuniting all these different people that were all under siege, all these different, I don't want to call them clans, so just call them areas. Or houses maybe, maybe that's a good way to put it. But there's something going on with the king. That's that much to be certain. You find out pretty much what's going on and you get the gist of how that happened right away in the book. It's actually something I thought at the very beginning and I was like, oh, okay, so I was right. So let me see if you pick up on that as well when you read this. Now, there's also a slave named Ivender, and I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's basically trying to win his freedom in the gladiator arena. Now, the thing is, is when the queen sees him she has an odd reaction to him and not in the way that you're thinking you'll understand more again when you see it and how he's treated after that is very very different and very very interesting now after the ceremony that they have for this reunification of all the houses pretty much all hell breaks loose in this book i mean right away almost at the snap of a finger and really the people of Noon are questioning everything at this point now, I can't really say a whole lot else without spoiling anything, but what I, w- what I will tell you is there is a lot of story to unpack in one issue. I will tell you that much right now. Now, make sure you read this a couple of times, actually, so you sort of have it all down. I certainly did that, but it, the, the thing is is that if I didn't care and I didn't like the story, I wouldn't have read it twice. So that already tells you how much I enjoyed what it was that I saw. Now, this really does read like the beginning of a great fantasy epic. It has all of the elements that you could expect from that. As a matter of fact, the monster itself seems so simple in its concept and design, but at the same time, ultimately terrifying as hell when you see exactly 
what it can do. I mean, this is one of those things where you could see how this thing could wipe out an entire species pretty easily, and yet something was able to overcome it, that being tear. So you understand why the people would be like, this guy's a god slayer, basically, is where they're at, and, and worshiping this king and, and the people that fought with him. So that that's just it. There, there's so many elements here at play, and major players already in the very, very beginning of the story. And even the simplest of visuals on the pages are striking. I mean, page after page after page, when you turn it, you're like, how am I seeing this and experiencing it at the same time? It's one of those, like if this was a movie, you'd be glued because you wouldn't want to miss a second of it, either for the visuals or the fact that you've got this, this major story with a ton of key players right off the bat. This book doesn't is not afraid to jump right in and it really pays off. The last God, number one, is a pull for me from DC's Black Label. Go ahead and grab your copy and let me know what you think of it. Gonna stick with Valiant this week. I had a review of a Valiant book on the website this week, so we'll do another one. How about Roku number one from Cullen Bunn, Ramon F. Box on the art, Stefan Petreo on the colors, David Sharp on the letters, and Dave Johnson on the cover. Now, Roku is pretty much an assassin for hire with some really insane abilities that I don't really want to give away. I really want you to see it and experience it firsthand. And the first part of the story, basically, is pretty much just her showing what she can do while she completes a job or a contract, however you want to put it. But, I mean, it's it's really incredible watching Roku work. That much I could tell you right now. Now, when an even bigger job comes up after this one, she kind of jumps at the chance but really won't know what she's into until the last minute. And that's that's a red flag automatically right there. She doesn't know who she's working for or what she's really going to get. Now, there's a very interesting encounter that happens with Roku and another character in this book. Maybe something to do with her MI6 days. Who knows? We don't really know that yet. And she actually does something very unconventional to distract the threat, which I thought was was pretty neat and a really clever idea. Insane, sure, but it's still very clever. Now, what she ends up finding when she gets to the point of of trying to complete this new job isn't at all what you would imagine it to be, and it really sets up something interesting and potentially hilarious, if I'm being quite honest, that's going to be coming up in the in the next several issues. And this is a four issue limited series, so we got to keep that in mind as well. As I'm reading this, I was thinking, if Bloodshot is the unstoppable weapon of the Valiant Universe, then Roku is the buzzsaw that cuts through everything in her path. That is just how she rolls. This character is no holds barred. And we'll get to see her deal with, though, a bit of real life coming up in uh, definitely in this next issue based on the end of this first one. So how much that can expand the character and the story itself is key. Like, again, take Bloodshot, for example. Action, action, action is great, but the the beauty of Bloodshot is, is you get something more. No matter what kind of a Bloodshot you're getting, you're getting something more than just this unstoppable force. In action, there's way more depth to that character. So, there are some amazing visuals in this book as well, and really in the action sequences as I'm talking about it. They're really, really fun. I mean, plus, the way the character is designed, and you can see that in the cover. Also, the abilities, which you'll find out more about as you read through the book. This had to be a really, really fun book for Portrayo and company to, to, to draw because there's just, there was so much to look forward to in this issue and with this character. So, again, this is a pull for me, too. Roku, Roku number one. From Valiant, I mean, Cullen usually puts out great stuff anyway. This is another home run for him. And this is a character that, who knows, this limited series could turn on and turn into an ongoing. We'll have to see what happens. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. What are we watching? Well, we'll find out together on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, this is Greg Sipes, Teen Titans Go. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy, 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 Nerdy Podcast. Nerdy, Nerdy, Nerdy Podcast. This guy's the biggest nerd you ever met. The nerdiest of the nerds. There's a new threat and a new season. That's right. Season two of Amazon's Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan or Amazon's Jack Ryan. That's what I'm going with. Season two 
dropping today, actually. And I'm going to give you my spoiler-free review of the Season 2 premiere because I know you probably haven't had a chance to watch too far in yet. So, you know, I don't really want to spoil anything. I don't really feel cool about that. But, I mean, basically, Jack Ryan's going to be searching for answers and what's going on in Venezuela. There seems to be some sort of thing with a, with a shipping container. And there's this might be a minor spoiler. But I have to do this to talk about it. So minor spoiler here. There is possible ties to Russia here as well. Remember, that's where Greer went at the end of season one. Greer was assigned to Russia and actually offered Jack to come along. Now, you do find out why Jack doesn't take him up on his offer to go to Russia. And that's not a spoiler because we already knew that's kind of what was going to happen, right? Because you saw him accept a position at the end of season one. So we do get to see why he doesn't accept the offer. So they do kind of tie that loose end up a little bit. I don't really want to talk too much about exactly what's going on in this episode, but it's two separate investigations that sort of converge into Venezuela, basically. And we get to see Jack Ryan go to Venezuela and he actually has a new wingman for this mission. And that is Senator Moreno, who he's spent a lot of time with. He served with him in the military, and there's a great story that's told at a dinner, and you get to see that he is very close with Senator Moreno and his family, and it's and it's nice to see because you're seeing Jack. He's happy hanging out with his family and with Senator Moreno, and you know, you know he's like on a first-name basis with him, and he goes back a long way, and then you realize how connected Jack Ryan really is, right? We saw that in Season 1, seeing it already even more, in season two, but here's one thing that's interesting to me is that first of all, I love that Venezuela is taking center stage because it would have been, you know, really easy to, you know, like just go with Russia or something like that. But Venezuela is something that, you know, quite frankly, you know, not getting political here or anything, but doesn't get talked about enough. And while this is fictional, it's still, you know, bringing attention to the fact there's real problems going on in Venezuela, but, you know, then you bring it back into the fictional world and you're talking about, you know, potential weapons of mass destruction and who's got what and where. And the fact that's interesting here is, is that, and this isn't really a spoiler, and I actually could be wrong about this, is that it's interesting when your big bad of the season is actually the president of a country. So you're talking about President Reyes, who's played by Jody Mala. So... And you kind of get to see him a little bit. And, you know, he's not exactly a man of the people, right? And they're, they're talking about the election that's coming up in Venezuela and the opposition opponent. And you get to see also his general, who is also part, part of this as well. And, and there's something very interesting going on with the general. I'm not really going to pull the lid off of that one just yet either. But let's just say that... There's, there's this general is going to be more part of the story later on down the line. I've got a feeling just, you know, just like Jack Ryan, I'm going to trust my gut on this one and say that the general is going to be a bigger part of this story than you might think. And, and you get to see, you know, there's a very tense meeting between the American contingent and the Venezuelan contingent. And from that, something very, very drastic happens in this first episode things get really intense now you know you're setting the stage for what's going to be the storyline for the season right so you know it's your typical first episode in a lot of ways but then once you hit it's like just past the halfway point is when things really really get kicked up a notch and that's kind of a par for the course for this jack ryan series isn't it there's a catalyst and then boom you're off to the races that's exactly how the second season is already. They don't waste time in getting deep into exactly what they're talking about. And what you're going to see is a lot of similar faces that you saw last season trying to get to the bottom of things. But there's something very interesting to Greer's story that's coming up for this season. There's also a potential new love interest in Jack Ryan's life. Or is that exactly... Uh, maybe that doesn't quite describe it. I mean, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about when you see this first episode. There's also another, I wouldn't say big bad, but certainly adversary that causes problems in this first episode as well, or this could end up being the big bad. It's really all a matter of perspective. But there's a couple of scenes in this first episode already that are going to gut you 
I mean, absolutely, like, really, I can't believe this is happening in a first episode. I will warn you of one thing, and again, maybe this is a minor spoiler, but I wish somebody had warned me before I watched this. If you're an animal lover, there's a particular scene in this first episode that you're not going to like. I'm just going to put put that out there right now. So I'm just warning you in advance. First of all, watch this episode. But there's something that you're going to see it coming and avert your eyes. That's that's all I'll say. And this is me doing you a favor, not trying to spoil anything in the episode because that's completely out of context. I'm just saying you'll know when it's coming and you'll know when you're not going to want to look and maybe even press the mute button while you're at it too, by the way. I mean, that's just a friendly suggestion. But, I mean, one episode in, there's already a couple of major turning points and a couple of very interesting seeds that are planted on what's going to be, I think, a very interesting, compelling, and great second season of Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime Video. This, to me, season one was one of my surprise favorites when it came out. And I'm going to say this right now. Season two looks like it could be just as on par with that. And I'm saying that after just one episode. I can't imagine how much better it's going to get as we dive a little bit deeper here. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is once again brought to you by Indiana University Press and The Boy Who Loved Batman, a memoir by Michael Uslan. And as I dove into this book more and more, and I had another week to kind of read a little bit more, it was just like having it was it was like being a part of a conversation or a world with just a fellow comic book fan. I mean, you're talking about a guy that was a professor of comics. How many people can get to say not only say that, but say that they were a part of the making of every Batman movie from the start, from Tim Burton to current day. It's absolutely amazing. And why wouldn't you want to know all the inside information about stuff like that? And that's what The Boy Who Loved Batman is, but it's also more than just that. I mean, he talks about the shadow in here, Beowulf. There's a whole bunch of other stuff, and this is all included. There's illustrations in there, some comic book covers that you might have forgotten are included in this. This is a guy that collected, that had like 30,000 books in his collection at one point too so let's just keep that in mind so if you're a comic lover if you're a batman lover you are going to love the boy who loved batman a memoir by michael uselin as a matter of fact right now for a limited time red lightning books and indiana university press are offering a special discount code here for listeners of the down and nerdy podcast 30 percent off your copy of the boy who loved batman go to www.iupress.indiana.edu and use the code batman that's www.iupress.indiana.edu promo code batman and that will get you 30% off at checkout. The Boy Who Loved Batman, a memoir by Michael E. Uslan. Definitely going to want to get your hands on this one. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the Season 2 premiere of Amazon's Jack Ryan. And up next, yeah, there's so much nerd news to get to. And a lot of it happened early in the week. We'll start that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah, this is Flash Gordon, Sam Jones, and you are listening to... The Down and Nerdy Podcast. Giving our maximum effort this week, it's time for nerd news. And we finally know when HBO Max will be here. The streaming service made their big announcement this week that it will be coming in May of 2020. So actually towards the end of May. And it's going to be $14.99 a month. Now, here's why that's significant. First of all, that's the price that you might already pay for HBO anyway. The reason I mentioned that is HBO Max is going to be free for subscribers that are subscribing to HBO now that are subscribed directly through HBO. So not through Amazon or anything like that or through Hulu. No, no, no. If you go right through HBO, you will get HBO Max for free at launch. Also free for AT&T customers apparently too, by the way. That's a big deal because... When we were talking about price point before and the many, many discussions that I've had about this, I said, well, you know, how much more are you willing to pay? And this is Warner Media's way of saying, look, you're already paying this much for HBO anyway. Now we're just going to give you all this extra stuff for nothing. Now we know it's not for nothing. We're not stupid. And this might not even be a permanent thing. It's a for now thing. So I'll take that. 
but it might not be a permanent thing. And my point is, is that it's Warner Media's way of saying, we're just going to give it to you for free. How do you like that? Even though it's it's really not, because you know that one thing was going to happen. You were either going to dump HBO now for HBO Max or vice versa, right? You weren't going to subscribe because you, you already had HBO and you wanted that. So if you make this the cherry on top of the Sunday of you of already having HBO now, then that's a big deal. That's something that that actually matters. And then they dropped a whole mess of titles that are going to be available. Now, these weren't specifically going to be available at launch per se, but they will be available at some point. And one of them is that well, I can I can only imagine will not be available at launch, but I could be wrong, was a Green Lantern series. That's right. A Green Lantern solo series is going to be happening on HBO Max. Absolutely no details given on that other than the fact that Greg Berlanti is going to be involved. Another series is Strange Adventures, which is going to be following Adam Strange. And please let Sean Sipos take that mantle back over. He did such a great job on Krypton. Let the man get his Adam Strange series that he really, really deserves, because I think that would be amazing. Just running through a couple more of these really quickly, Looney Tunes cartoons that I was looking forward to so much, kind of the revival of what Looney Tunes should have never gotten away from, is going to be back on HBO Max. DC Super Hero High, which is something we'd never heard about until just now, and this is actually going to be coming from Elizabeth Banks. It's going to follow a group of students experiencing the fun and drama of adolescence at a boarding school for gifted kids. And, of course, you know, budding DC heroes, quite frankly. And I'm wondering if this is where we could get characters like maybe Naomi or something like that from the comics. Just Or we could just get brand new characters altogether. Just, this is something that could be really, really interesting. There's also going to be a new Hanna-Barbera series on this as well that I'm kind of excited about. So, I mean, there's plenty of catalog titles to choose from. Looks like they're if you were looking for all the seasons of South Park, which I believe there's 23 of them, those will be on HBO Max. That was a big, big deal coming in. So the question is, is is, is this worth your money if you're not already subscribed to HBO? Because if, this, if you already subscribed to HBO, you're getting this anyway, especially if you weren't planning on getting rid of HBO anytime soon. And that, that really matters. Right here. As a matter of fact, I just got my HBO subscription back when Watchmen started, and now I'm just probably gonna hang on to it at this point. I mean, why wouldn't I? Because that's what's gonna, and that's the key here too, right? That's what they're making you want to do. They're gonna make you want to hang on to it until May, even though think about how long it is from now. So now you're gonna hang on to it until then because like ah, I'm just gonna order it anyway. It's a great business tactic to me, and I'm just very interested to see how these new series and all this new content will be received because again when you're comparing it to Disney Plus 14.99 is a big big number but how much does that matter in the grand scheme of things if you're getting stuff that you really really want we're going to find out when those numbers come out here's something that i i couldn't believe at first when i read it and then maybe made more sense after the fact deadline reported earlier that the executive producers of Game of Thrones David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who were supposed to do a trilogy of Star Wars movies, say they don't have time for it and they're not going to be doing it now. Basically, they are walking away. Now, this is freaking Star Wars, okay? I'm not even talking about how the franchise prints money. I'm not even saying that these two need the money. But at the same time, Star Wars just doesn't seem like one of those things that you walk away from, especially when you find out they're doing this to focus on their overall deal with Netflix. Now, with all due respect to Netflix, you are not Star Wars. There are a few things that are Star Wars, and I know maybe you're not digging the newer movies. You know, maybe you just don't care about the newer movies. Uh, Maybe you're psyched for The Mandalorian. I'm sure you're psyched for that. But this was going to be an all-new thing, and now we're not going to be getting it. To me, this means there are a couple of different things that this could mean. This is just my opinion, of course. They either didn't want the scrutiny that comes with another beloved franchise after everything that they went through in this final season of Game of Thrones. They just don't want to hear it anymore. They don't need the criticism. They're happy when everything's going great. But because the Star Wars movies, the new ones have already been criticized up and down, whether they're good or not good, depending on your perspective, they don't want to be dealing with that. 
with their Star Wars movies. They're like, you know what? We're just not going to do this anymore. Either either Disney's just going to pare down on their Star Wars movies, period. Because to me, even if you wanted to walk away from something, Disney seems like the kind that would go, you know what? Eh, we're going to sweeten the deal to keep you on because we want these. And that's not what happens. So some to me, it's not just as simple as, oh, they're walking away to focus on something else. Eh, I'm not sure it's that. But Kathleen Kennedy did leave the door open for a return, talking about how creative and great storytellers they were, yada, yada, yada. We'd love to have them back so much, in, in so many words. I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not. Based on this, again, you don't really tell Disney no, and that's kind of what these two are doing, what Benioff and Weiss are doing. So I'll be interested to see if we see them get this opportunity back again at some point down the road. Now, once you lose one thing, you tend to gain another thing, and that's what happened for Game of Thrones fans this week because I want to start with the with the cancellation that happened. The, the Naomi Watts Game of Thrones prequel that was supposed to be happening, you know, the Age of the Heroes, thousands of years before the events of Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's been scrapped. That's not happening anymore, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Now, they did film the pilot, and HBO made that decision after the fact. So that tells you that they didn't like the pilot. Let's just put that right out there right now. As a matter of fact, they might have gone too far back. I mean, thousands of years before the thing that everybody knows and remembers seems like it's probably a little bit too far. So they decided to go a little bit more with the familiar. And this Game of Thrones prequel that was announced is going to be in, is going to involve Ryan Condal and George R. R. Martin. They're creating it. Condal's actually going to team up with Miguel Spronchnik for the showrunner of this series, and it's going to be based on George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood. So fans are already super stoked about that anyway. So it's going to be set 300 years before the events of Game of Thrones and basically going to be about the story of the House of Targaryen, which you know that name, don't you? Whether it be because of the events of what happened in the final season of Game of Thrones or or how the show really started, if we're being honest, with, with the House of Targaryen. It was a huge part of the story in the entire series. So... Fans recognize that. It's something that the casual fan that maybe isn't a fan of the books or is a fan of the or this or is a fan of this particular book's gonna go, yeah, I know that. So I'm definitely gonna be checking that out. Whereas you go back three thousand years, yeah, sure, there's gonna be the first battle with the White Walkers, but I'm doubting that you're gonna get to that in the first couple of episodes, and you can't really sustain that from a storytelling standpoint. But if you tell people, oh, we're gonna tell you the story of the House Targaryen. You can get behind that no matter how many episodes it is because, again, it's a story of an entire house. You can stretch that out and make it make sense and plug in certain things that people might recognize that were told in the current series that we saw. You go back 300 years, there's stuff that could have been relevant in the current series that will be relevant in this new prequel series that will make sense and will almost serve as Easter eggs for certain fans, but in a backwards way. I know it's kind of confusing. But I think that this was a smart thing to do. You didn't want to go too far back. Stick with the familiar. And, I mean, I could see only good things coming from this. Speaking of which, I got to tell you, this is one that I've talked about a couple times on the show and the Arrowverse spinoff that I think I wanted the most. Variety is reporting that we are going to get a Superman and Lois live-action series. That's right, Tyler Hoken and Elizabeth Tulloch are going to reprise their roles as Clark Kent and Lois Lane. But here's the thing that gets me excited. The series is going to follow the world's most famous hero and comic book's most famous journalist as they deal with all the stress, pressures, and complexities that come with being working parents in today's society. You heard that right. That's the synopsis that was sent out. Working parents. So that means it looks like we're going to get Jonathan Kent for this series as well. And if you remember Peter J. Tomasi's run on Superman, probably one of my favorite runs on Superman ever. And I know there's been a ton, and that's a bold statement. Don't care. Loved it. Family Man, Clark Kent Superman, is one of my favorites of all time. And just that family dynamic, I loved it so much. And I can't wait to see that brought to the screen in any capacity, really. Todd Helbing is going to be kind of at the helm to write the pilot here, and he'll definitely be involved in the series. Remember, one of the reasons he left The Flash was to focus on kind of the overall development at Warner Brothers Television. And now 
He's going to be involved in this, probably because it's a super, super important series that needs a lot of attention. So I think that this is a great, great decision to do this. We've already got Green Arrow and the Canaries that are coming. Now we have this. It really feels like almost, for the lack of a better way of putting it, it almost feels like a phase two, doesn't it? The You know, we had our original group of Arrowverse stories, and now, while that storyline is going to be continuing, here's who's going to be telling it. And I'm not saying that we're going to get all new series and this is just going to blow everything up that we're seeing from the Arrowverse so far. I'm not even saying that this means that Supergirl's in trouble, even though the ratings seem to be pretty low this season. I'm not sure that I would really go there just yet. What I am saying is this is something that absolutely should have happened based on how well this couple was received at the in the Elseworlds crossover, how great the chemistry was, and the fact that, you know, Hoken and Tullock basically killed it in their respective roles. You, This was a no-brainer that I am glad is no longer a rumor and it's going to be happening. I mean, sure, it's just a pilot order, but come on, you're not going to pick this up I know that we just had that happen with the Game of Thrones series, but this pilot would have to be pretty terrible, I think, for the CW not to pick this thing up. That's just my personal opinion. And even if they dumped it, tell me this wouldn't go on HBO Max in a hot second if they dumped this pilot. I'm just saying. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, speaking of Warner Brothers, we're going to talk to the cast of Teen Titans Go! versus Teen Titans, the animated movie, and we'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Tara Strong, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's almost like the crossover you never knew you wanted. It's Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans, the animated movie, which is available right now from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. Got a chance to sit down with the talented writers and the cast of the movie. As a matter of fact, speaking of writers, started with Jeremy Adams, and the first question for him was, how did you decide on the tone for this movie? I think it's more Teen Titans Go than it is Teen Titans. And when you, uh, I'll give you an example. When we did Scooby Natural, uh, that's the same sort of thing, where you have Supernatural, which is serious and monsters or whatever, but then you have Scooby-Doo, which is very silly and, and not monsters. So in that is the joy and the magic, right? Is that when you put in uh, something semi-serious with something funny, that's what we all want to watch. That's the that's the that's like the Deadpool of it, right? It's like, oh, here's this character, and now he's breaking the fourth wall, and now he's doing this something stupid, and it only really works if you have a straight man. You know, it's the Abbott and Costello of it, absolutely, right? So it's like, as long as somebody's being serious, then it makes it even funnier to see somebody be outrageous. That's how I feel. My question for Jeremy Adams was: with all the characters interacting with themselves, what character was your favorite to write? You've got a lot of characters interacting with themselves. Yeah. In this, as a writer, what was the most favorite pair for you to write? Uh, it, to me, it, I think I, I, it's weird. The young, the Teen Titans Go versions and the Teen Titans versions—they're similar but not similar. But I think the ones that are the furthest apart are probably Robin and Robin. That's how I feel. So I think that's the most fun to play with because they are. They're on the spectrum of Robins. I think they're the furthest apart. Like I think Beast Boys, Beast Boys, funny, whatever. They, there's a lot of similarities. I think Cyborg has a lot of similarities. Ravens, I think, are a lot of similarities. Uh, no, they're different, but I'm just saying there's a lot of similarities. Right. But I think Robin, I think Robin and Robin, just the total kind of like wanting to be this hero, whatever, versus I am a hero, uh, and I get that. I totally get that. I think we all get it. It's like you see that person, and you're like, I want to be like that. Yeah, we all really are like that. Uh, there was a phrase this this guy said that weakness is a strength out of context, and I, I feel that a great deal with you know Robin or some of these heroes. Sometimes they think they're weak, but it's just because their strengths aren't being played in the right arena. And I think that's kind of where this movie tends to play with. You know, it's like, oh, look, these are the silly guys. But you know what? They're actually our heroes. And when you see them use their strengths in their context, you'll get that heroism that you want. My final question for screenwriter Jeremy Adams was, do you see the characters react differently to villains in this movie? We've got these two very different worlds colliding. I feel like their reaction to villains would be different from each other. Like, when Teen Titans go see Trigon, it's a different reaction than yeah. Teen Titans. Do we see that kind of play oh, yeah. out a little bit in this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's... The Teen Titans go kind of, like, 
laissez-faire, like, uh, you know, they're, they're, they come at it a totally backwards way versus Team Titans that are just going to be like, let's go, let's do this, let's, you know, the strategic mind of Robin versus the not-so-strategic mind of Robin, you know. Uh, yeah, you're going to see that a lot. It's a really funny movie. You're going to have a blast watching it. Next up is a name we've heard quite a bit recently, Marley Harpin Grazer, who was another writer on Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans. My question to him was, what were the different challenges in this crossover as opposed to the last one you did, which is Batman TMNT? So you're like Mr. Crossover guy now. You I know. Batman and Turtles, now yeah. you're doing this. What were the different challenges that, that were presented to you in this that weren't, say, in that crossover? They were different. Um, I think what made... So with Batman Ninja Turtles, the good thing about that is it's very clear what the differences are. Like the the turtles are goofy teenagers and Batman's a, a very serious brooding adult. It's pretty easy to contrast them. But the other thing is on Batman Ninja here's actually here's what was more difficult. On Batman Ninja Turtles, we made up a new version of the Ninja Turtles and a new version of Batman and we built them to exist in this crossover. So we created a version of the Ninja Turtles that would make sense with Batman. We created a version of Batman that made sense with the Ninja Turtles. We, we created one holistic world pulling from these two different source materials. For Teen Titans, it is literally the Teen Titans from Teen Titans Go, the TV show, meet the Teen Titans from Teen Titans, the TV show. They're meant to look like we pulled them out of their shows and stuck them together, which means it was it's actually the stylistic tone of two different TV shows have to meet with each other, and that, that is more difficult. Uh, so I would say what the big difference here was that we weren't just mashing up two groups of characters, we're mashing up two distinct styles of shows and trying to make this feel, as this is supposed to feel like a Teen Titans Go movie and a Teen Titans movie, and fans of either one should see the things that they like about the project in this project. The final question from Marley Halpin Grazer was, since the voice cast knows his characters so well, did you get any input from them when actually writing them? It's, it's more that... I, it's more that because I know they know them so well, it takes some of the pressure off of me. Like, I know that, obviously, you know, it's my job to try to match their their inflection, match their speech patterns and everything, but it's nice to know that if I if I phrase something a little wrong or if I, I put a the in a Starfire line where it should, shouldn't be, I know that they'll fix it for me. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to, it's, it is nice writing, it is nice writing a project where the actors know the characters so much better than I ever could, but I also, it's like a safety net. I know that if, like, if I write something, Beast Boy would just never say, "Greg will catch it." Like I don't like it's it's uh, that's what I. It's more than anything. It's it's nice to know that I can sort of swing for the fences, and if I if I do it wrong, they'll catch. They'll they'll know that I did, and they'll fix it. Always great to sit down with a wonderful Hinton Welsh who plays Starfire on Teen Titans Go and Teen Titans. Quite frankly, my question to her was: Was it easy to kind of? step back into playing original Starfire. Well, we were chatting on Friday for yeah. Batman Hush. You were saying they were telling you, do what you did all those years ago, and then you had to do it. Do you feel like that was an easy thing for you to step back into? Oh, for Starfire original, which was 18 years ago, it was really challenging, actually, because not only was the tone of the show very different, um, I was different. You know, the whole cast was 18 years younger, and it completely different places in, in our lives and in the industry and you know so it was challenging to go wait a minute let me remember what I felt like then let me picture Andrea in the room directing us in the original show and how does that feel different and now talk to myself as Starfire and Teen Titans go at the same time so you guys will have to tell us how we did <laughs> in the end Next question for Hinden Welsh was, the writers were telling us how much the voice cast is involved with the creative process, and we wanted to know if that was true. Absolutely, and the cast, um, we're very close. We have a, a Teen Titans text, group text going on at all times, and we hang out together, and um, yeah, and doing Go, because of the broad comedy, which is super fun to do, I mean, sometimes they'll just be like, Titans argue. So we just, <laughs> Titans, discuss your clothes, okay? <laughs> and you can tell when they use that on the show. I always think it's super funny when it's a group, it walla, you know, but it's very specific lines we're all saying, and then one of us will just go on forever. <laughs> that always makes me laugh really hard. I love that they save it. So yes, collaboration, for sure. My final question for Hinden Walsh was, you've played Starfire for such a long time, what's it like 
actually hearing her voice by someone else. You've played Starfire for so long. It's it's like this is your character. This one is yours. But there have been other actresses that have played her in other movies, like Carrie Walgren, for example, and Justine for Steve Titans. What's it like for you to hear Starfire being voiced by someone else or do you not consume that? It's, it's strange and it's hard. We're sort of like... Because <laughs> we we do connect with these characters completely, and like I was saying for Batman Hush yesterday or whenever it was, it was um you know I feel like whoever created the character, it's them, you know. So Paul Dini, Bruce Timm, and Arlene Sorkin are Harley Quinn. I'm lucky to get to play in the pond sometimes, and I feel the same way about Starfire. Well, I feel that same way about all the characters. This is a guy I've wanted to talk to a long time for a long time. Finally got to sit down with Kerry Payton, Cyborg himself. The first question for him was, what's so great about playing these two different characters for so long and now just bringing them together? The great thing about the, the old show that, that we did and uh, started in 2003 is that is that it was uh, it was serious and and funny. It kind of kind of uh, kind of flipped over the the fence uh, a few times, and and so and so when we did Teen Titans Go, they already knew that myself and my and my co-stars that we could we could play in both both those worlds. And uh, and so when we went just straight silly, you know, uh, we could really go for broke. And and it's uh, it's nice to to go back and be able to play, you know, with the uh, with the old guy again. Switching between cyborgs is kind of switching between just me with a lot of caffeine versus maybe just a you know half a cup you know so uh, you know maybe just a sugar rush or uh, or or, uh, or maybe um, a nice uh, Manhattan on the rocks you know so so it, they're all just different versions of, of myself as far as cyborg is concerned my question for Carrie Payton was one of the writers was telling us that cyborgs the two of them don't get along necessarily in this movie early on so we'll talk about that so Marley was saying when we were talking to him that the two cyborgs don't necessarily get along at the beginning of this movie what was that like for you I don't get along with myself in the morning you know, <laughs> you know half of me is telling me to get up the other half is telling me to shut up you know we, we, we all have those uh, I, I find that push and pull and that struggle with myself all the time maybe I'm just a little more schizophrenic than most so it doesn't uh, feel so weird to me, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, but honestly, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, yeah. The the loud version of myself, you know, sometimes tell is trying to tell myself to shut up, you know. And so I, it's so it's it, it. I'm oddly at home. I'm oddly at home uh, arguing, you know, in my own mind. You don't get to hear about her playing the villain very often. Gray Griffin playing Mrs. Claus in Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans. So I asked her about that. What's it like to play a villainous Mrs. Claus? You don't get to play the villain a lot, but I'm sure you didn't expect it to be Mrs. Claus. Yeah. What's it I like know. to kind of add Mrs. Claus villain to your resume? I love playing villains. It's my favorite thing because I like you have to pretend to be a nice person like all the time, and it's exhausting. Um, and so I got to be my real self. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I played I played Azula on Avatar: The Last Airbender, so that was like she was really mean. And then I played Vicky on The Fairly Odd Parents. <laughs> so yeah, I love villains. It's fun. Yeah, let all that extra energy. And since there's a little bit of a mystery about this character, the next question was, you know, just tell us more about Mrs. Claus in this movie. I hold the key to solving all the problems, and I'm not going to let go of it so easily. I have to pry it out of my cold dead hand. <laughs> Yeah, she's pretty bad, um, and she's supportive of her husband and his dreams. Uh, she's she's an, she's a woman of uh, another time, so <laughs> she doesn't have her own dreams yet. <laughs> she's just facilitating her husband. <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get when Greg Sipes sits down. The voice of Beast Boy from Teen Titans Go and Teen Titans for this movie. So, how would you describe playing the two different versions of Beast Boy? That was the first question. A Beast Boy is inspired by animals. So the different versions, I would say, I find different animals that inspire the, the different variations of who I am. Like in the new Young Justice, that's a different animal that inspires my, my personality traits, you know, the strongest personality traits that I bring to the, the character. So the original Beast Boy, I would say, like, he's more like a dog. And this Teen Titans Go Beast Boy is more like a hyena. <laughs> and uh, the new Justice League, uh, Beast Boy that I played, the older Beast Boy is more like, um, I'm just finding him more than I ever have too. And now we have season four that's been announced, which is great, so I get to dive deeper into him. 
Can I see the animal that the Justice League Beast Boy is? Is like a horse, but like a not a big horse. <laughs> but you know, horses are there's a certain wisdom and passion and like strength they have, and but like a young horse, a young stallion. Get Next question for Greg, Greg Sipes was kind of an easy one. How was it to finally bring the OG Titans back? Well, I love it because I feel like our show is so fan-driven, and it's actually the fans that made this show even come back. Um, I started a rumor in Australia at an Australian Comic-Con when we were in like the, the dark ages of no shows being made between Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go!, and uh, there wasn't like a show greenlit or anything yet, but I said there was. <laughs> and uh, the Cartoon Network received more actual fan mail than any other show in the history of Cartoon Network. Actual handwritten fan mail for the show to be brought back that Sam Register started to develop the shorts. And now here we are with the big successful movie we had, Two Times Go to the Movies, which was amazing. And now this really fun direct-to-video movie, which is really cool because it started as a bag at Comic-Con. It was just a bag. And again, fans loved the bag, and they brought it to life right here. My question for Greg Sipes was, Beast Boy always finds a way to have fun. And is that one of the things you love? about playing him? Even in the most serious of movies or TV shows that Beast Boy's in, he always finds that space to have fun. He always seems like he finds that time to have fun. Is that something you really love about him? That's right, and that's what Wingman teaches me. All the greatest qualities in the universe are within him. Playfulness, compassion, loyalty, you know, being a wild animal. He's a wild animal, and Beast Boy is that too. So I get to tap into it, and it's very healing to play Beast Boy. And he's the color of the heart chakra. He's very heart-driven all the time. Any chance I get to talk to Tara Strong is a good one. Of course, you know, she plays Raven in Teen Titans. And first question for her was, how fun was it for this movie to be switching back and forth between the two Ravens? It's really fun. Um, and fans of the new one will be happy because there's so many funny moments. It's so comedic. The fans of the original will be happy, too, because the stakes are very high, the danger is very real, the acting is very authentic, so it's the perfect dichotomy. And both fandoms really get to come together and appreciate each other. And then, of course, there's this multiverse of Teen Titans that you never knew you ever wanted to see. And uh, it's just visually really explosive and fun. And I think it's a brilliant idea for, for a movie. I really liked it. My question for Tara Strong was that, you know, we get to see Teen Titans go Raven play some outside-of-the-box type characters in her time, and how does OG Raven feel about this? We get to see the Teen Titans Go version of Raven step out of herself at times, like Lady Legacies and stuff like that. How do, how do you feel like OG Raven would feel about those moments? I think she'd probably hate Lady Legacies. That would not be her jam, which is why it's so funny. I mean, Go playing with My Little Ponies is pretty hilarious, and they did that as a little egg for my fans, which is fun, yeah. This is fun, but OG and original probably wouldn't have that much in common except for hating everyone and needing time to meditate. Finally got a chance to sit down with Scott Menville, of course, the voice of Robin, and my first question for him was, you know, everyone says that the two Robins diverged the most out of any of the other characters in this movie. How was that? So we hear that of all the characters in this movie, yours kind of diverged the most. So what was it like to play two such different versions of this character at the same time? To play different versions of Robin at the same time, I, I felt like I had a responsibility to uh, to the original one to like not not let him get caught up in the craziness of Go, and and to keep him grounded. Um, and but it was fun. It was fun to do the scenes switching back and forth and playing off myself. I think the new Robin tests the original. Robin's patience. I mean, you know, <laughs> he doesn't suffer fools, and here's this little guy with baby hands that he's got to, like, deal with, so. Next question for Scott Menville. Were there any specific moments in the movie that really stuck out to you? There's some good visuals that I didn't have anything to do with it, because I'm not a designer or an animator, but some good visuals at the, uh, in, uh, a couple action active sequences. I don't want to give anything away, but yeah, there's some stuff the way they animated it that made me really laugh. Another thing I got to ask Scott Menville was, do you feel like there's another Teen Titans Go crossover or Robin crossover that you'd like to do at some point? Not only reboots, but crossovers are big right now as well. Do you feel like there's another crossover out there with Teen Titans Go or even with just Robin that you would love to do at some point? I would love to do. Well, a lot of fans have, over the years, have tweeted at me that they would love to have me play Robin to Kevin Conroy's Batman, and I, I think that would be amazing. I would love to do that. I saw Kevin two days ago here at Comic-Con, and, and we talked about it for a split second, but uh, yeah, I think that would be a fun crossover.
And the final question for Scott Menville just happened to be mine, and it was how much of the ad-libs that happen on the show or in this movie has to do with the familiarity that the cast has with one, with one another. How much of a byproduct of that is you all just being together for almost 20 years now and just knowing, okay, this is where Scott's going to go or this is where Tara's going to go and just knowing that you have that comfort level. Great question. There's a lot of that, actually. Because not only do we hang in the studio, we're, we, we're good friends. We hang out outside of the studio. We text each other. We go to each other's houses. We know each other so well. So there, there are moments where we were just doing a record two weeks ago, and Greg had a Greg Sipes had a line, and I just had a feeling my line was next, and I had a feeling don't jump in, don't jump in, and I hung for a second, and he ad libbed something. I just knew it. I knew it was coming, and I would have crashed over his ad lib, and we would have had to do another take, and the ad lib wouldn't have been spontaneous. So yeah, there there is sort of like a sixth sense intuition thing that goes on with us. You know, one thing that was a common theme when I was talking to this cast, and even the, the writers and anybody involved in the process, was just how tightly knit. This cast was how familiar familiar with they they are with each other, how much they love working together, and they're just such close friends and have been for like twenty plus years now. How could you not get gold from that? And that's exactly what you get from this. If you haven't watched it yet, Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans, the animated movie is available right now. Blu-ray, DVD, the combo packs, all sorts of stuff. You're gonna want to make sure. You get this one because your kids are going to love it. You're going to love it. It's something you can watch together and really, really enjoy. Also available on digital HD at your favorite retailers as well from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thank you so much to Warner Brothers for letting me sit down with the cast and the writers, producers of Teen Titans Go! versus Teen Titans the movie. If you want more info on us, always go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Follow along on social media as well. Facebook.com slash down and nerdy at down and nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram. Don't forget the boy who loved Batman, a, mo- a memoir by Michael E. Uslan. You can get 30% off that right now by going to www.iupress.indiana.edu and use promo code Batman for listeners of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds. <laughs>